Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me invite you to stay standing. Uh, we're about to hear God's Word, but happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. I got one back. That's awesome. Today we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, the story of the church, and we, uh, our passage today takes us to see the first miraculous healing that happens through the apostles by the Spirit of God. And we're reminded as we go to this passage that God is at work, that the gospel is breaking out and it's going forward, uh, just as it still is doing today. So as I read this passage, I want you to imagine that you are there, that you have seen this lame man who's been lying in front of the temple, lying there for years, and then all of a sudden you see him up and walking and leaping, and you want to know what happened to this man. Let's read this passage again, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he still clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray and ask that you would help us, help us to receive your word by faith. Give us that faith, Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus better, the way he looks at us and cares for us. Help me to speak and preach your word. 
Give us ears to hear and give us hands, feet ready to get up, obey, and to do this word that you are speaking. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when I was in high school, we used to have to drive a really long way to get to soccer practice on the other side of Houston. So we went from Katy to the Klein area that's up Beltway 8, and it was a long drive, especially in rush hour traffic. And my parents were just praying for the day that I passed my, my driver's exam and got my license so that I could drive it myself and didn't have to rely on them. But thankfully, there were a couple of teammates in the Katy area that were also on the team. And so we would carpool together. And I vividly remember one of these carpools. Uh, A friend and his dad came to the house, picked me up, and we were headed up towards the Klein area. And we got off the highway as we were getting closer and pulled up to a stoplight on the feeder road. And there was a man, a homeless man on the corner, and he was asking for money. And so as the light turned green, my, my friend's father rolled down his window and was moving slowly up towards this homeless man as if to give him something. And then all of a sudden, he speeds away, yelling out the window, get a job, you lazy bum. I remember at that moment being way too scared, self-conscious to say anything, but I knew that something wrong had just happened that was deeply wrong. There was something destructive and unholy about what this man had just did. Without any gratitude for the life he had been given, without compassion, knowing this man's story, with a sense of superiority trying to show off in front of these two 16-year-olds. I believe today, and I believed back then, that honest work is truly dignifying to every human being. I believe that. But what had happened was not dignifying. It was shameful. What a contrast we see with Peter and John here. In the older translations of the verse, Peter says to the man, gold and silver I have not. Gold I have not. So get a job. Gold I have not, so do better. Gold, I have not, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get your life in order? Gold, I have not, no. Gold, I have not, so let me give you something even better. Gold, I have not, so let me dignify you and care for you. Gold, I have not, I want to give you the good news about Jesus. The passage we just read, the gospel is starting to break out. People are starting to come to faith, and Peter and John are inviting people to repentance. But the gospel wasn't just going forward then, it's still going forward now. It's not just Peter and John who are bearers of that good news, but it's you and I who are called to bear that good news to people. Every day, God is putting us in a position to give something better than silver and gold. But for the precious words of Christ to go forward, they can't be wrapped in shame or anger or vitriol. They must be wrapped and flooded with the love of God, with the love of God. 
Gospel words don't go anywhere unless gospel love is flowing through them, right? We're just going to look at those two ideas today. We're going to look at how gospel love brings dignity to others. And then that dignity is an invitation with gospel words into restoration. So let's just look at the first, at gospel love that brings dignity. There was a man in need of dignity. It was certainly this man. Verse 2 tells us that he has been lame from birth, but technically the Greek says that he's been lame from his mother's womb. If you can imagine this man lying down on a mat his entire life, it would not have been a pretty picture to behold. Without the care of modern medicine and physical therapy, he would have been covered in sores from constantly lying down and unable to turn himself over. His skin would have been rough, ragged, sunburned. The lower half of his body would have been atrophied, no muscles to speak of. This man is wearing ugliness and disgrace on the outside of his body where everybody can see it. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I come near to someone who might look something similar to this, my gut reaction is to look away. I don't want to see it. It's hard for me to look at. It's hard for me to imagine the series of events that has brought this person to where he is now. But people like this, this man here is also a reminder to us. Few of us bear our brokenness on the outside of our bodies, but every single one of us bears a brokenness on the inside of us. Every single one of us has a brokenness that is ugly and shameful on the inside. So the question for us is, well, what disgrace do you bear? What is your disgrace? You have something. A good way of figuring it out is thinking about the why question that you ask yourself. Why am I like this? Why did I do that? Why did that happen to me? That why question gets at the heart of our disgrace. There's something, if not many things, that we know if you were to figure out about me, I would want to run away and hide and never see you again. As I've been thinking about the terrible thing that my friend's dad did to that homeless person, I'm also recognized that there's another way we deal with our disgrace. We find ways of covering it over, right? What was he doing? What was he doing? This was a broken man yelling at that homeless person who needed a shot of self-esteem to bolster bolster his fragile self-image. If you don't know where your disgrace is, you can also look and see where are you the most judgmental. That's probably the location of some of your deepest wounds. I know shame and shaming is a really easy go-to in our hearts, isn't it? So often when we look at others, we first see the things that we don't like about them, what they've done wrong, what their children do wrong. We see their bad choices and their brokenness. We do that with people closest to us. Maybe think about your kids. Why can't you be more like Billy? How come I have to deal with this over and over again? Why can't you get your stuff together? What's wrong with you? That doesn't just happen with everyone else either. I wonder how many of us, most of us, have that as the track going in our own heads about ourselves. 
I have my own shame motivator that's always running. The question is really important. How does God look at us? How does God look at us? How does God speak to us? Look at verses 3 and 4. The man does what he always does. He asks for a little money to get by, and then Peter and John stop. Verse 4, Peter looks at him and then invites this man to look back. We can understand why he's probably not looking up at this point. He is too ashamed to always look up at the people he asks for. He doesn't want to bear the rejection of not receiving alms over and over again, so he's looking down and away. But Peter and John want to give something better. Healing, yes, but love and dignity first. They look at him. They touch him. They lift him up. Even after this man has been healed, you can look at verse 11. Verse 11 tells us that this man is still clinging to Peter and John, not because he needs a crutch anymore, but because he's found a friend. But where did Peter learn to look at someone with love and dignity? Where did he learn that? Well, He's just spent three years with a man who looked at all of the broken people that he's ever come into contact with, with love. But it was more than that. Seven weeks prior to this moment, Jesus had told Peter that Peter would deny him three times and then a rooster would crow. And there's this deeply poignant moment in Luke chapter 22, verses 60 and 61. Jesus has been arrested, beaten, subject to a kangaroo court. And then we pick up the story when Peter is asked if he was one of Jesus' disciples for the third time. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, who was at this point across the courtyard with the priests over there being spurned, turned and looked directly at Peter. What kind of look did Jesus give Peter in that moment? Was it wrath? Was it anger? Was it hatred? Was it vitriol? No. Was it categorically different from the way that Jesus looked at every other broken person who he had ever come into contact with? No. Yes, sure, sadness, but underneath, love. Even on Jesus' worst day, the worst day of his earthly life, he still in that moment, was able to offer love to this one who had denied him. Isaiah 53 reminds us that on the cross, Jesus is one from whom men hide their faces. We avoid looking at Jesus because we know we're actually looking at ourselves. We're looking at what my sin and what my brokenness should look like what it could have looked like. Really, we are looking at me, hanging there. And so we want to look away, but don't. Don't look away. When we behold the man upon the cross, we don't just see our shame. We see his love for us poured out and looking back at us. Yes, this is what my shame deserves, but I went to the cross. I went to the cross 
so that I could receive and die for that shame and sin and brokenness and give you my love. Think what spirit dwells within thee, Christian. Think what Father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Do you believe this is Jesus? This, do you believe that that's how Jesus looks at you? One of the best things that can happen in our lives is the reprogramming of our hearts to believe that the Father does really smile at us. That God looks at us with loving kindness despite my sin and brokenness. And what happens is as we're captured by that, we begin to change. Not just our intimacy and relationship with God the Father, but also the way that we are able to love other people in our lives. Where the dignity given to Peter reflects the love and dignity given to him by his Savior. Having been loved in your brokenness by Jesus, whom do you have in your life to give love and mercy to? I was talking to a pastor last week, and he was sharing a little bit about his personal story. His parents were divorced when he was seven, and he really didn't, hasn't seen his father since he was 12, year old, 12 years old and hasn't talked to him since. And this could have been deeply wounding for him, right? Not growing up with a father, not having a relationship with someone who is supposed to care for you and love you. And he said, you know, every time I look back on that, I'm grateful because my grandparents stepped in. My uncle and aunt would come to our house every single week and bring me and my siblings to church and be a surrogate for us. I knew a father's love. His kids are getting just old enough now to realize that there's a brokenness. What about your relationship with your dad? They've asked him recently. What about your relationship with your dad? And he says, you know, I'm so thankful that I can love my children not based on my earthly father's love, but based on these other father figures who ultimately showed me the ultimate love of my father in heaven. I have a legacy of love to give because I've been given a legacy of love. What about you? We all have something to give, this legacy of love to give to someone. We might not have gold or silver, but who has God put in your life to give a legacy of kindness to? See, what happens is the love then paves a way for gospel words. That gospel love then paves a way for gospel words that will truly bring reconciliation and restoration. Look at what happens. Having received the look of love from Peter, by faith, this man hears the words of life that restores him. Peter speaks to the man in verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately this guy goes from not being able to use his legs at all to being strengthened in his legs and his ankles to standing up, not just walking, not hobbling along, but leaping. Luke tells us he's leaping twice, he's walking three times. <coughs> Excuse me. And Luke wants you to be astounded like the other people in the crowd in verse 10 who rush to see what is going on. This man who couldn't walk is now leaping. 
Luke is also reminding those of us who know our Old Testaments that when the Messiah comes, something incredible will start to happen. Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Isaiah 35.6, then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. (coughs) Excuse me. It's the dawn of an entirely new era. You see, the world looks the same on the outside as it did 2,000 years ago. But the resurrection of Jesus has actually changed the operating system underneath. The apostles expected to see marvels like this man now walking and leaping for joy. Verse 16 tells us in perfect health, perfect health, living on this side of the kingdom of God, everything the apostles said and did was filled with hopeful expectation for God to act. Do you have that hopeful expectation that God, through your words, truly will act. But it begs the question, doesn't it? Why don't we see miracles like this all the time? There was a medieval writer named Cornelius Lapide, and he talked about a time where Thomas Aquinas once called upon Pope Innocent II when he was counting out a large sum of money. This is what they said. The Pope said to this to Thomas Aquinas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold, I have none. True, Holy Father, Aquinas replied, neither can she now say, rise and walk. It's a good story, and I know it's how we feel sometimes, but it also obscures in a small way Peter's main point. See, the most important miracle that has happened to this man is not just the healing. Here's the argument from Peter for verses 13 through 19. I'll just summarize it for us. Guys, You denied the holy and righteous one, the author of life you killed. But this author of life defeated death and healed this man before your eyes. And so at this point in the argument, we would expect then Peter to say, repent and you can also experience this kind of healing. Repent and you will no longer have any ailment of body. But what does he say, verse 19? Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. See, the healing is a signpost. It's a big old sign that points out that something is more important than just a healed body. A restored relationship with God is the most important healing that we could ever have. Now, in his logic, Peter is just reflecting his Savior. After being called as an apostle in Luke chapter 5, the second miracle that Peter sees Jesus do is the healing of a paralytic. A paralytic is brought before Jesus, and what does Jesus say to him in Luke 5, 20? Man, your sins are forgiven you. And it's only then to prove that he is the authority on earth to forgive sins that he heals the paralytic. You see, without the forgiveness of our sins and rebellion against God, sickness will always come back. Without the forgiveness of our sins, diseases will end up winning. Without the forgiveness of our sins, the grave will be undefeated. 
But when our sins are truly forgiven, when our rebellion against God is dealt with, when we are connected to our Savior in love, then every affliction of body and soul will be ultimately in remission. When the author of life is connected to his children, all of of the afflictions that we have are in remission. And we all know this, but it bears repeating. All physical healing, miraculous and otherwise, is only temporary while we live on this earth. I hate saying that. I don't want to be too morbid, right? But if we beat cancer, one day something else is going to beat us. That's how it works. This man eventually died. He did. But when he received the words of life from Peter and John, a fuller restoration was held out and promised to him. Look at verses 20 and 21. Why do you repent so that your sins are blotted out? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until that time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Here's what it means. One day Jesus is coming back and every healing of body and soul will be full and final and complete. One day Jesus is coming back and we will be free to live a life without sin, without shame, without brokenness, in a new body, in the new heavens and the new earth together forever and ever. The healing here is a sign of better things to come. And how do we receive these words of restoration spoken in love? Simple. Verse 16, by faith. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Faith and repentance. That's what this healing calls us to. I know we want our lives to work well for us, right? We want peace in our families and healing in our bodies. It's frustrating to deal with the ailments that we deal with, especially as we get older. But God always wants us to focus on the root first before we begin to see the fruit. Repenting of our sins, trusting His promises, knowing that God is slowly but surely healing all of the ailments of this world until He comes again, that's what we are called to hold on to for dear life. And as we do that, simple faith and repentance, we will be amazed at the fruit that He grows in us on a lifetime of faithfulness. But let also a church, our church, contemplate this. God didn't come down to this lame man without a mediator. He didn't come down and show Himself immediately. Peter and John were the vessels that God used to bring the words of life to Him. Gospel love is what this means. You and I are called to bring gospel love and gospel words to people. And our gospel love is never really complete unless we speak gospel words. It would be really sad if someone looked at your life or my life and just thought, wow, what a really nice person. That person's a nice guy. It's important that you know that any love I have only comes because God loved me first. 
Any mercy I show only comes because God was merciful to me, not because I'm all that much of a great guy. If we can't speak gospel words, then we really haven't given gospel love, have we? Last week was a general assembly for the Presbyterian Church in America, and it was held in Memphis. That's our denomination where we all get together, uh, all teaching elders and ruling elders, to talk about really important stuff for the future of our church body. We conduct business together, and it really is a spectacle. If you've never been to a meeting where the Robert Rules of Order rule the day, then going to GA, that's the most Roberty and rulesiest place that you will ever go in God's green earth. Point of order. Point of information. No, actually, that's a point of personal privilege. Sorry. There was something really special about GA this year. We actually celebrated the 50th anniversary of our denomination. So in our Jubilee year, one of the things that we got to experience were stories. Stories told by people who are in uh, our denomination from the very beginning. And one of the stories and the videos that they had on display was about a ministry called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, which is our denomination's ministry to campuses across the United States. And just quickly, for show of hands, has anyone been involved in RUF before? It's a decent amount of people in here. It's a decent amount of people. In this video, one of the founders of RUF, Mark Lowry, talked about the very first RUF that he started. As he was talking about it, he couldn't hold back tears of joy and thankfulness. Why? Because from one RUF on the university, in the University of Southern Mississippi, one little Bible study, God has been pleased to expand that to 188 campuses across the United States and the world where up to 20,000 students per week are hearing the gospel. One little ministry, one little Bible study, and he said, all I wanted to do was bring the love of God by the Word of God. The love of God by the Word of God. Gold, I have none. But we have something better to give. When the love of God meets the Word of God by the Spirit of God, God does amazing things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we are here today because someone reached out to us in love. It may have been a parent or a friend. It may have been a relative or someone else in our lives, a pastor. You reached out to us in love, and you brought to our hearts the Word of Christ. And you healed us, and you changed us. We ask that you would do so more and more. Do it not just through pastors or ministry leaders or people who start RUFs. Do it through each one of us. Help us, Lord, to reflect what we've been given. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.